<laughs> it would be a wolf, but eh? Hello and welcome to today's episode of Wolves Fancast. We are back, ladies and gents, to our match reaction shows. It's been far, far, far too long. But like they say in Frozen 2, some things never change. Joining me tonight, we've got Matt, Stu and Amy. Uh, guys, I've been so looking forward to this up until yesterday's game. And then we get to have a nice, good old-fashioned mode about the refereeing. But... Let, let, we'll park it to one side for a bit because I think this team deserves a lot of praise um, and a bit of criticism as well, to be honest, because I don't think any of us were necessarily quite expecting the performance they put on yesterday, to be honest. I mean, uh, Stu, and, Stu you, were, you were there yesterday and you were kind of saying beforehand sort of how good the atmosphere was and sort of properly like behind the team, which... I know, I felt like that there was opportunity for it to be a bit more toxic. Yeah, uh, you go back a week ago and no one was really looking forward to it, really. it was. I know I put a thing here saying subsequently that I've put that bet on for top half, but you've got Bully singing along with the, with the crowd before the game there. I mean, I did tweet this on before I knew I was coming on here today, coming off the subs bench for you all. Um, not just being egotistical and putting my own tweets in this. Um, but it was great. It was like a party atmosphere, which you normally get first game of the season anyway, but especially after the summer that we've had and all the madness that happened last week, I kind of, I, I don't know what I expected to see, but it wasn't that. And it was from the first minute as well. You had all this stuff going on with Bully beforehand, which is always a good laugh. And, um, and then you get to your seat and it's full Gary O'Neill's Golden Black Army, which... I thought, okay, so you're going to give him a bit of a chance, but not that. It was like universal praise from from minute one, and then you skip to the end of the game and everything, whatever happens, and it was like hairs on your arms kind of thing. It was deathly silent, apart from that chant for a good minute and a half. It was amazing. I just, I don't think anyone would have expected it, and obviously the performance led into it. But even before the game, like we just showed that video. Um, it was just wonderful. And it was like us against the world again, which was great. Yeah, like it, it, it could have so easily been, let's say, toxic, for want of a better word, and, and, and be a bit rough. And I don't know, like, I, I was really impressed with like Gary O'Neill before the match in terms of how he came across and, and what I was kind of expecting of them. And to be honest, it was a bit of a can't-lose situation for him in a way. Because if we had been a bit drab, a bit poor, and even just stuck 10 men behind the ball. Like, no one would have necessarily lamented him for it, but we we came to play, guys. I mean, let, let's talk starting starting lineup um, first and foremost. I think it was arguably what most were expecting. I mean, Amy, could you have seen a, um, Fabio Silva potentially getting a start as one of those from three, though? I mean, I probably would have had Silva on over Sarabia. 
Um, but I think he showed up when he played, to be fair. So I was expecting Silva to be on there. Um, thought possibly Doc, but yeah. he put Samedo on. And I thought, again, Samedo showed up and played very well. So I think the lineup was quite predictable, but worked very well in our favour. Yeah, it seemed somewhat, I was going to say, well, more than justified, to be honest, by, I guess, the, the smash-and-grab nature um, of the performance. I mean, Matt, uh, the only other thing on the starting lineup, I guess, is the competition for left-back. And Ait Nori, who's been out in the cold, out in the wilderness, seems to have um, been brought back into the fold a bit. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking from Gary O'Neill's point of view, there was definitely a game plan of hit them on the break with pace and with kind of ferocity and that's exactly what he offers um what he offers defensively is enough to keep you up at night sometimes um but lineup wise was more or less what he kind of had to go with really i think fabio silva as much as like the fans absolutely want to see him you know smash onto the scene again and get loads of goals he joined the pre-season late and i know that's no excuse with neto really but i think keeping the pressure off him at the moment in the first game against Man United, it's it's important to like be realistic about what our expectations are, and I think nobody really knew how we were going to play. And when he came on, he showed that impetus, which we'll get onto later, I'm sure. So, starting lineup I had no issues with at all, um, and it was just like you say, it was no lose. I had set my expectations incredibly low. Like I'm talking, as long as we don't match Villa's result, it's it's a result for us, basically. And then the tra- like over that ninety minutes, everybody's attitudes completely changed. I mean, sort of beforehand, and my, my motivation and a bookmark tweet was seeing a clip from Rio Ferdinand show, sort of calling for a demolition job, saying that basically saying how crap we were that we saw Neves, Martinez left, Traore left, and we we spent what three and a half months going into all of the weeds on that. So we, I think. We've all kind of emotionally uh, you know, detached from it all now. But I was like, I, you know, let, let, let's show them what we're about. And we did. And we, we got off to a roaring start for me. We just took the game to them in, in our own way. Don't get me wrong. We were that bit deeper. But I can't remember the last time I saw Wolves play with that much freedom and technical proficiency on the ball. Yeah, it was. Well, to say it was a surprise moment, we had bits of it, like at the uh, again the rent in the Ren friendly. Um, there was little signs there, but nothing like this. Not from, and I think everyone's commented today and last night as well, from what I've heard, that you, everyone goes to Old Trafford and it's you sit a little bit deeper to start with, and then you get pinned back, and that's just what happens. But to take the game to them like that. You don't even see Liverpool and City and anyone else doing that from the very start. And we just went at them and they had no answer to it. And there was a brilliant TIFA video today about what, why were Man United so bad. And it was because we made them so bad. And the amount of times over the years that's happened, yeah, we've been their nemesis, but not in this way. This way, we absolutely battered them from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, something that's frustrated me about a lot of the narrative, and you got it at halftime in the um, in the commentary as well, it was, why is Man United playing so bad? It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Why Wolves playing so good? Yeah, I mean, you expect that, don't you? I mean, they, you get people, 
you put that in your thumbnail, like like the Athletic have done and stuff, and that that's where you're going to get your clicks because they're a bigger club than us. But in reality, when when you look into it, everyone almost to a man has praised us for how well we played. Yeah, and I mean, like I, I, I'm, I'm skipping 45 minutes, so I appreciate. But Gary Neville at halftime was saying, you know, oh, Old Trafford. It was almost like prop like it's like Old Trafford's a really wide pitch. Use the fullback, you know, exploit the wide areas, and it wasn't the you know the fact that Nelson Semedo was one of Wolves' best players, argued like one of the best performances I've seen him put in in a wall shirt. So it's like, well, yeah, they, they tried going down the sides, but we locked them down on the side, so they had to go inside to the fucking dogs of war in the middle of the park <laughs> in the Mina and Shao Gomez. I mean, I'm already in love with Shao Gomez, but it, he is just the, the new Neves, right? In our hearts and minds on the football pitch. Yeah, I think he, I think he was really the benefit of really good tactical nous in this game. That the Tifovid that um, Stu's referring to was excellent in explaining how we were pushing them, forcing the play onto Aaron Wambasaka to then be forced to then come inside and then beyond them straight away press and force a mistake. And it's exactly that, and that. It's down to like a, a plan, like preparing to fail, fail to prepare. You know what I mean? That kind of mentality that it felt like a really polished tactical performance and like an idea had been implemented. Um, and the energy levels throughout that game were, were, were crazy. I mean, that was Samedo's best game in a long, long time. And I, I had nothing but praise in the ground for him. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I was gleefully thinking about some of like you know some of the criticism he's had in the past and like a performance to shut those doubters up and then it was it was dogged and it was nasty but in a not in a born, graceful way yeah in a i don't know like a bulldozer going into a bunch of ballerinas or something it was just it was it was it was brutal it was it was the energy levels were really high but they never gave up on that and that was really important because when you give Man United that opportunity. So when they broke, as Man United did, they, they break and you think, well, here we go. You can hear the cheer from the crowd, the groans from the away end. You thought, fuck, we're on, we, well, we're going to get counted here easily. It's going to be 1-0, 2-0, 3-0. The pace in which they were tracking back was unbelievable. It was a real, like Russian, they were like the red arrows coming, you know, chasing <laughs> after. It was a really good watch. It was really entertaining. And that's exactly what Gary O'Neill set out to do. Um, really, really Wonderful to see. I think um, you, you've touched on a, a many a wonderful point there, Matthew, as always. Um, but you know, you talked about having a plan, and a lot, and it all felt very tactical, methodical. When you know, in terms of a, a how we're chasing the ball back and getting it, but also how we broke as well, and the number of players that broke me. Naomi, I can't genuinely remember the last time that we had like four or five players just bursting into the box, particularly from midfield. It was amazing to see. I mean, with Gary O'Neill, I was expecting it to be quite defence football from the off, but mm. I think the amount of runs that we had, even straight down the middle, wasn't even down the sides. It was just like, you could see the attitude of the players was we just need to get up the pitch and play in their own half. Um, but no, I think the plan 
in place was just be brutal and just attack. I thought it was very exciting football. It was also very excruciating when we didn't actually score, but I thought yeah. it was it was more like I was again, I started watching football properly when we were in the last season we had in the championship and we won the league. And it reminded me just of that. Like the passion was just there. It was like we've just got to go all out from the get go. And I think the, that was just the plan. It was just fire. Yeah, and, and and it works for three quarters of the pitch, didn't it? And we had almost those warning signs in the first half where we were having these breaks, and you know, Kuna and Kuna and um, Matthias Nunes just were swashbuckling. And, you know, it, it was a minor miracle that, you know, um, Martinez didn't get sent off. Because I think that was one he was already on a booking, because he got a booking very early on, didn't he? Um, and I think Kuna skipped past him on the halfway line. I think I tweeted from the fancast account being like, oh, really good like play, because he's, you know, we've not just got a crappy free kick on the halfway line. But actually, on another day, you get, like, Kuna you know, tries to get him sent off or whatever. But we we had him on the back foot so many times. Luke Shaw got an early booking as well. Casemiro magically escapes bookings like it, it, it's no tomorrow. But, you know, Sarabia had that chance in the first half in particular where he just dragged it wide and you can't go, oh, okay, f- fair enough. And you always think that's like you, you won at Old Trafford because you don't get many. But it just kept happening. And just kept happening, and you know, we, we've we've lost like, you know, Adam Traore, who's just known to be this ball carrier, and all of a sudden it's like, well, we've actually got two or three other players who can just do this job, but also pick out a play at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. and I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nuri again, and like Matt said, going forward is his uh, is his strength, not his defensive qualities. But I think for Marcus Speller on the football ramble today to call Cunha the second best player behind Haaland in the league. Um, and I think he opened a lot of people's eyes just because if we didn't really see that last season. And I think it's damning really on Lopetegui that he was the man he wanted. Never played him in any kind of position like this all for the the four or five months that he had here, then Gary O'Neill's come in, in in four days and got this performance out of him. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I was going to say, speaking of, kind of Gary O'Neill and sort of mentioned tactics as, as well, it did feel like a lot of that must have taken him in terms of that game, in terms of some of those patterns of movement. And, you know, they did listen to some jobs with that form. If you look at... Um, um, Philip Billings, um, you know, last season in terms of his late breaks into the box, it was a bit reminiscent of that. And I don't know, I, I found it really interesting in terms of how they did just match it up um, and went toe-to-toe. And it wasn't without scares in the first half as well, but they did break. But truth is, I don't remember Saab really being under pressure. No, I didn't think he was... I mean, don't get me wrong, he did his best impression of um, kind of a sprinter would run out of the box on a couple of occasions and, you know, just reminded us of the frustrations of him as a keeper in general. But no, you know, he wasn't put under a lot of pressure in the game, really, at least in the first half. Well, actually in the second half, to be fair, apart from um, when we conceded. Um, 
I think, you know, to make sure there's a certain element of equipoise to this. Defensively, I was I was, I was like worried on that left hand side as well as we were looking at it, um, and worried about Aitnori and kind of he was. We were giving so much space on that left hand side to allow that ball to come into that channel, um, and we were kind of. I, I, I think Dawson's performance will be really understated or, or not talked about as much because of all of the attacking side of it. But he just mopped everything up in that game. He was Kilman as well, not quite to the same level, but Dawson was just there for everything. Like so assured, calm, and mature performance from him that it kind of negated. When the ball did end up getting into the box from from United, he was there to mop up. It was it was really good to see. Um, I'd just be really interested to see if that's the kind of risk reward matrix we're going to use going forward. Whether we're going to allow teams to be able to come at us to then have the that being the risk, the reward. Okay, we'll hit them on the break with as much ferocity as we did. Um, I mean, it's exciting. It's scary, but it's exciting. Like anything worth its time should be, I guess. I think that that's my biggest question, to be honest, because we have so little sample size under Gary O'Neill as a manager, let alone just a Wolves manager. And it's going to be really difficult, I think, for us as fans to to go into, I don't know, the next three or four things just and kind of go, yeah, but we played like that against Man United. And it's, well, Man United are a team who are arguably competing for a title. But probably not, judging by how they played against us. But you know, we've got Brighton, we've got Brighton next, and then we've got Everton, Blackpool in the cup, and then Palace. And I think those are going to be our real litmus test because, particularly, Everton and Palace, they're not going to probably commit as many players forward as Man United essentially have to because of the type of team they are. So it's going to be interesting to sort of see how we play against teams who are a bit more conservative than Man United and see, I guess, what tactical uh, changes are made to uh, to this Wolves team. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting an interesting time because it's almost going to go into the unknown. But in, in terms of chances, you know, Sarabia, Neto had a couple. Kuna had that really big chance after a fantastic break, um, which he should have scored. I know he was outside of whips of the post and he hit the post, but you need to be scoring, don't you? Yeah, it was um, it was a better chance than it looked live um, when I watched mm. it back this afternoon. Because um, you thought, oh, well, he's, he's gone quite wide there and he's coming at it with his wrong foot, but... <laughs> He was what six inches away, and <laughs> it's just another one. And then you, like you mentioned, which the the Sarabia Henry Kamara impression in the first half, um, and then that famous game where we, we could have won it that time as well and didn't. Um, it, it's we've what we've said for the last two three years on with it. Let's just create chances and miss them rather than do nothing at all. So <laughs> we can't really moan there that that's exactly what we did. Um, I'm sure I'm I'm stealing this stat from somewhere. That was the second most amount of shots Man United have faced at Old Trafford in 20 years or something silly. Since, since records since, began. Since yeah. Records began, which was 2003, which is shocking. Um, but, you know, it kind of just showed that we just weren't afraid. And I think, like, for the last, like, three seasons, 
you know, Wolves have been a little bit goal shy in terms of actually just having those shots. Even under Nuno, we were quite a economically efficient team when it came to chance conversion as well. And yeah, some of those shots weren't great, but at least we're getting into those positions. You just got to hope for that confidence and that belief doesn't wear off because if we don't start converting the chances, it's like it, it's a game of inches, isn't it? So Nunes might not try and burst that extra yard forward into the box and try and have that half chance or, you know, the, the full back, you know, eight Nori might not try and push into the box that little bit more because actually, you know what, it's not really coming off. So hopefully they take the positives from that. However, the finishing was so poor at certain points. You know, the, the, the most frustrating one for me was Neto's in the second half where... You know, again, sweeping move across the pitch, up the pitch, across it as well. And it comes to in the middle of the box and he sort of just clips it directly at um, mm. the, the keeper where, you know, for, for me, you know, you needed kind of, there's this huge open space after he took the shot to kind of send the ball back where it came. And it's just like Neto of old, he's scoring that, isn't he? But I don't know what it is, what it was, but as soon as we can kind of get that composure, this team's got something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those where I think it's it's. I'll be so pleased when the um, the narrative of oh, it's the same old Wolves problem, they can't score, it's blah blah blah, because it's it's. That, that team was unrecognisable yesterday to what we've had over the last kind of 18 months to two years in terms of the amount of chances created. It's like mm. watching a different team. Um, and I'm sure everybody here like, will agree it's a lot, it was a lot more attractive on the eye as well. So I'll be, just be really pleased when, you know, how many times I know it, as it felt like we say, well, one team's going to get a thumping soon. <laughs> uh, and it never really pays off. Like no one can't remember the last thumping we gave anybody, like Liverpool three nil or whatever it was. Um, that wasn't really a thumping, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, but if you consistently create chances like that, statistically, you know it will pay off. Um, and it just needs to keep up that kind of level of intensity, and you know that kind of those kind of positives will come. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Yeah, and. I mean, I was going to say, Nate, Nate put a good comment there for the audio listeners that two of our six shots on target were from Fabio, Fabio when he, he was on the pitch for mere minutes at the end. And he looked, out of anyone, sharper than most, which is understandable considering how well he played on loan last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, when, when he came on, hungry. Like I, I can't remember who it was first. It was like it was either Van or Shaw, but he probably like pushed him off the ball, and I was like, I thought this boy ain't playing now. And like that criticism he had like a couple of years ago that oh he was weak, he was whatever. He's a he's a different player to what he was like a few years ago, wasn't he, Amy? Well, he's had chance to grow. Where was he at PSV and I can't remember the other one. PSV and, and yes. Um, so he's obviously had a bit of breathing space, but also grown more as a player, gone from being the golden boy to now coming back to the Premier League. He wants to probably be one of the best now. And you can see even that small bit of time he had on at the end of the pitch, 
like you say, he was hungry for it. He wants it. Um, but again, see again, I would have started him, but I thought Sarabi had a fantastic game. Um, but I think Silva probably could have come on beginning of the second half, given him a bit more time, maybe would have got more from it. But I mean, two of the shots on target being him in the small bit of time he was subbed on for. I mean, it tells you everything you need to know, I think. But especially against Man United. Yeah, I think he, 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 compared to Kuna, I guess, he just seems to be a bit more of a striker as opposed to a forward. Does that mm. make sense, guys? He, yeah. he had that, the kind of determination, sorry, <laughs> he had that kind of determination. Like, the second he won the ball and was in an opportunity to have a shot, he took the shot straight away. There wasn't like a thing, there wasn't a thought process behind it. He just saw the opportunity. He like almost had an identical shot twice. So he just had to kind of turn on the swivel and shoot and just hit it with pace. Ball could have deflected anywhere and gone in. Um, whereas I think other players, you know, in our forward line might have to have that second thought about it first. The Kurnia chance where he hits the side netting, you know, he has to take, he takes a couple of steps before he strikes the ball um, mm. to kind of just get that perfect connection. And in doing so, you know, the ball bobbles or it goes in a direction he doesn't want it to go to. And whereas I think Silver just, it feels like he has that sense of urgency when it comes to taking the shot because, you know, half, half you know, an inch or two either direction, it deflects differently. It goes into the back of the net. So um, it's good to see someone have that kind of venom in wanting to attack. Hmm. I was going to say, with that sort of swivel shot, it did give me um, a bit big Raul Jimenez vibes of where he used to kind of just take that shot on almost like a sixpence and catch him unaware. That's sort of just like that it's, that's almost like a sign that he has grown as a striker and he's not almost ta- pushing the ball that extra yard away and he's comfortable working in sort of a tight space and you know there's a point where he sort of nicked the ball off the Man United defender in the middle of the paint box as well just because he was that extra bit of he had that extra bit of drive. Uh, Danny P in the YouTube comments. A big thanks to everyone watching live as well on YouTube, as well as everyone who's listening back on podcast as well. Uh, Danny P says, I understand uh, Fab wants to be in the team and scores goals, but I think easing him back in back in is wise. Big difference between replacing Luke De Jong for 20 minutes and leaving the line at Old Trafford. I get it. And I particularly think, probably because of the style of play we were playing, I, it... it it worked having him on the bench because I think he'd probably not be able to drive and carry that ball 40 yards in the same way Kuna did quite a lot. And it's going to be a bit of a dilemma, I think, is how do you fit those two players into the same team without kind of compromising them? Because, you know, I don't think you want Kuna playing out wide. You want him linking the play. But it's whether, you know, then you kind of go, well, do they play Mateus Nunes? Um, it, it's kind of all uh, adding up, to be honest, and making it, I don't know, just a, a, a nice little problem to solve, to be honest, for me. Um, I think you're going to, it will be different. Uh, I was going to say different strokes for different folks, but that's a different thing altogether. Um, it'll be different approaches for different games, and he's already said that himself. And I think if you go and if people go and look at Gully's excellent thread that he put out today, of how it was almost like a box midfield at times with Sarabia not being in the front line and making up the midfield four on either side and then Neto on the other, and it worked really well. 
and you can't you ain't getting Fabio doing that. So when we are when we are playing someone like Luton or Blackpool in the cup or something like that, I think it's more likely to go with a, a more traditional front two, which would work better. Um, but for that kind of system yesterday, I don't think he could have done it, and it's not his natural game. And when we've actually got players, and we haven't got many players, but when we've got players in like Sarabia, who I thought they played well as well, especially in the first half. Second half, he got a bit tired, um, which with his age, and he's not the most mobile anyway. I think it's understandable, to be fair, and he got took off anyway. So, But I think he did a job, and like Huang did a job, and it was for the team rather than for himself, which we haven't had with certain players like Guedes and etc. in the last couple of years. So he's going to get his chance, but I think for the system, it worked better like that last night. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And I think, you know, again, someone like Quang comes on and again, just seemed to be very keen to get shots off. He did his best impression to try and behead somebody in the away end with <laughs> one of his shots that went awry. But that aside, I love what he brings in terms of that physicality. And we're going to need that through the season because of an accumulation of yellows, A, and um, kind of fatigue, tiredness and injury. Like you play that kind of 100 mile an hour football um, week in, week out. You're going to need a squad that can take that physicality, I guess. And I agree with Amy completely as well about Sarabia. It's three for three in that case. I, I think he, while he might not absolutely shine in terms of, you know, bombing up and down, cutting in flicks and tricks, I think like there is an element of needs must about him. Sometimes you just need like, sometimes you just need the butter on a sandwich of like on a steak sandwich. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you just you just need sometimes you just need the cogs in that machine that makes things tick along doesn't always have to be super sexy football 24-7. You need, you know, like like your Dawson's, just the cops in the machine that keeps things ticking over. And it's it's good that we aren't... I mean, it's, it's really easy to say this one game in, but it already feels like we aren't reliant on one individual to make the mm. system work. People are interchangeable. You know, when Traore gets his chances, fuck me, we know that he doesn't mind a challenge and getting about and, and being a, a menace and a nuisance. And when Huang gets his chance and when Kalajic gets his chance, we know that people are interchangeable. Um, so it's it's just a positive. It's, it's, it's all positives. Like, and to, to feel that 90 minutes after going <laughs> yeah. to the ground and thinking, well, as long as we don't get beat 5-0, you know, you know, we're here just to have a bit of a laugh kind of thing. I could physically see people's body language change through the 90 minutes. So I've sat next to my mate, Tom, who's one of the most, um, he's huge for one. He's, and so you see him for wherever you are. He's, his whole demeanor changed from the start of the game to someone quite chilled out, relaxed to the end, to the end of the 90 minutes and, you know, a hundred with stoppages, seething at the mouth with like, because this is what the game did to you because you just believed you believed that like something was going to happen. How how long has it been since we felt like that? Too long. Hmm. Oh, I, I I love and hate it. It's it is quite literally why you fall in love with football. That that sense of you know what I've gone from just uh, that disillusionment, disillusionment. There we go, and just not caring. <laughs> but like uh, literally ten seconds in, you're like no. I'm living and dying by this result now. 
and buy this team and you know it's like as the comment on youtube just says you know i'm i'm, I'm happy with the loss and pra- like you go you know what it's it's okay because there's a tomorrow um just to kind of sweep all this positivity up and just throw it behind us it's easy to forget Wolves actually lost the game and we did concede. <laughs> um, so just briefly, let's talk about uh, Rafael Varane's goal. I mean, I-, I got a bit of stick on the Fancast WhatsApp group um, for slightly criticising Saar in-, in this, just because I don't quite know what he was supposed to be doing in terms of his positioning. He got caught, didn't he? He, he-, he-, he seemed a bit... More like his mad self, early self that we saw uh, when he signed than what we had last season yesterday at times. And uh, there's one where he, where he got caught out and he got the ball got cleared off the line. Well, from what looked like from the line from where we were. Um, and I don't think it's a bad shit to say he was uh, he was out of position because he did get dragged to the ball. But at the same time, it's just one of them. It, people had switched off for the one minute of the entire game when they did, and we got done by. And that's that's what happens at these kind of places. I don't think you can blame him completely. It's a great header. It's a great cross, um, but he was out of position. The, there's no there's no arguing about that, Rich. Yeah, and I think you know um, for those on watching on YouTube, you know you, you look at the stills and like there are four Man United players who could arguably score. You know there is a proper overload, as the tactical kids would say. You know that if it's not Varane who's going to pretty much always win a header against Nelson Smedo. You've got Rashford there. You've got, um, I can't quite see who's behind on somewhere. You know, there's a, there's a few players in there. It, you know, there was a, a level of inevitability about how they bombed forward and got their goal, which, again, at the time, it was just like, it was frustrating because it felt almost like against women of play. It felt so, like, undeserved. Mm. And I appreciate I am, we are biased about it, but it, it didn't feel like, Man, you were like particularly deserving of it for me. Um, no, I, I think Matt will say the same as well. I've been to Old Trafford, what, 10, 12 times, something like that over the years. I've never heard a, a goal being celebrated as man, as mentally as that yesterday. Because it, it was completely, it was completely against the run of play. They were battered from start to finish. And then they get something like that out of nowhere. And they knew, they knew full well what had happened. And they've got that little singing section that they've got now. And everyone just completely lost their minds. And it was actually, it was properly loud, which you'd never really get at Old Trafford, even when they normally score. It's like, oh, yes, well done. Little clap. But it, they went mental, all of them. And that, yeah, but jumping in the crowd, no booking, obviously. Um, because why would they? But you could see what it meant to them. And they knew they got away with it. Hmm. It was about the only the only thing I was kind of impressed with from their support point of view. You know, they were you you get those cliched football in a library chance these days. You know, ten a penny, but it was an awful atmosphere in there. And then they had their really silly glazer out banners in the corner for a club that's been <laughs> bankrolled for generations over and over and over again. But we'll let that you know we'll let that dog lie. I mean, from from your point of view, I mean, Rich, I don't know what it felt like at home when they scored, but it was it was deafening when they scored, and it was just that that sucker punch that we. But the important thing was about it, it like, and Gully put it out on Twitter earlier, is that they didn't let the hedge drop. Could have been mm-hmm. very easily teams of old would have yeah. uh, would have gone on and you know not pressed from that point onwards. 
Um, so it'd be interesting to see what you guys thought about that, really, in terms of how did you feel at home with it? Because I was kind of fearing the worst at that point. Well, that's, that's it. You know, you, you get a, you can see them in the 76th minute at Old Trafford when you've had a run of play. It, it could and should have been easy for Wolves just to throw the towel in, but they didn't. And I was surprised not to see more commentators and analysts sort of say, oh, well, all Wolves did was beat them, get them on the counter attack, <laughs> which A was untrue for the first 76 minutes, but the chances that we created in those last 15 to, well, 20, let's be honest, because, you know, Fabio Silva comes straight on after a goal. We've already mentioned he had two shots on target. Like, you know, we, we created a hell of a lot of chances in 20 minutes to re really test them. And it wasn't just, oh, we've stuck it in the mixer. It mm. We were we had them pegged back, ironically, like Manchester United of old, where, you know, we were probably switching the play, stretching, uh, you know, stretching right out to the flanks. And, you know, you had point, and the, the, the disappointment thing for me was like, when like Neto, I think he had one where they did really well to create the space for them. You know, he then puts in a very average cross, which doesn't kind of go to anyone. That That's the part where we really struggled with it. But again, you go... 1-0 down at Old Trafford for a team who have had a shambolic pre-season in the, you know, grand sense of the word. And what's our manager's response to it? Just bring on two, just go for bring on two strikers, take the game mm -hmm. to them. And, you know, having that bravery and confidence, it surely gives the players confidence in themselves, hopefully. It's definitely given the fans a lot of confidence as well. In terms of actually, you know what, we're not going to be a team who just, you know, give up. And one of the things that, for me, like looking back, like last season, we had a really disruptive pre-season as well, if you remember, in terms of like lack of um, pre-season friendlies, and we looked really unfit. And it was, it, it, it took like lot until Lopetegui joined until that um, the World Cup break to actually get a decent level of fitness. But for me, you need it sounds fucking naive when I say it, but you need players who can go for 90 minutes. You need, you know, that, mm. that's, that, that's the key points in the game to actually make take that advantage, isn't it? And, you know, we just didn't, we just didn't let up. And, you know, it, it kind of all came to a point in the, in the dying moments, as it were. Um, let you know, before, before we get to that, let me just say that, remember the, the game against Leicester last season in the first half where we were brilliant? And then a certain someone came on the pitch and it all went tits up. We've got a unique opportunity for a change. And Amy's only ever known a midfield at Wolves with Neves in it. So did you, how did your opinion? Sorry. I, 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 I was thinking as soon as she said it in 2018, to, have, to go from that with him and obviously Lord Martino and in the Premier League and be settled and a midfield who sit and don't run around and chase and hack people down. How different was it from your point of view, going from what we'd known to what we had yesterday? I was nervous, like just noted. I was dead nervous because I was like, right, King Nevis no longer here. Right, okay. Did have faith in Lamina. I rate Lamina as a player. I think he's fantastic. But I think I was nervous throughout, but I thought it was, again, showed up. But it was weird. But at the same time, because it was so exciting, I was like, I felt like I wasn't watching Wolves. 
I felt like I was watching <laughs> City. I felt like I was watching City. I was like, oh my god, exciting football! This is brilliant. Um, but um, noted that throughout the game, even after Varane's header, you could hear Wolves fans constantly throughout filling Trafford over Manu chance. I know they celebrated, went wild. But straight after, as soon as that died down, who was chanting again? And we didn't switch off from mm. the reset. We were straight on it, which was quite odd. But, I mean, you can't really blame Neves for when we did switch off because he was nine times out of ten. Very rarely did he switch off. Always won the ball back in midfield. But our midfield was fantastic. Literally obliterated him. It was, like, brilliant. I felt Cunha covered the pitch. But, again... It was a big team effort, but no, I was, it's not the same without Neves, but we looked strong and confident. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say that, that midfield trio, to be honest, that they all were standouts, you know, Lamina and um, Gomez seem to have, I guess, capped off. Um, Neves in a way in terms of what he brought to the team you know Nunes who obviously came for a big uh, fee last summer and didn't necessarily quite hit the heights we expected for one reason or another he was brilliant yesterday and it, it, it's almost I think it's been genuinely difficult the last like 24 hours hasn't it to, I guess give everyone enough praise <laughs> you know because we like, I, I, I could have done a five minute slot on Nelson Smedo and we talked about him briefly. We, I could have done on literally any of the three midfielders on Kuna. Fabio Silva plays 15 minutes. We spent four minutes talking about him. The, and, it, you know, it's a great problem to have. Don't get me wrong. And it, it just put that midfield, it was, you say, almost, it, 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 was, it was stagnant for so long, wasn't it, Stu? You know, how many times under the Nuno era did we, you know, did we talk about, you know, having this same old, same old midfield? And now we've just got this, Really dynamic one, but we've also got you say likes of Trailway who could come in, mm. something else. It doesn't have to be hundred mile an hour every game either. That's the point. And we saw last season with Lamina and Gomez when, and I mean you can only count Matthias at this point because he's he is what he is. Um, but we have got the players there to play a static midfield again if we had to, and if if the the game demanded it. But yesterday it was battering Casemiro, and that was the, that was the objective, and we did it from start to finish. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I put out a um, cheeky tweet earlier of a clash between Gomez and Casemiro, saying, you know, <laughs> "World world class Brazilian midfielder and Casemiro." And to be fair, I did I, I do really like Casemiro. There was a point in the second half where they, they were on the break, and the ball just bounced to him about 40 yards out, and he just opened up his body and just sprayed it out wide. And mm. I thought, Fuck, that, that, that's the difference um, between like anything we've got and, frankly, what Man United have been missing for so long. Um, do we want to talk about the penalty? <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, because, you know, it, I, I still don't understand it. I, I don't get it. Can, can, can one of you... Just, Go to I, the ref. Well, I can't because he's suspended for a week. <laughs> so the next right. best thing. Amy, re- defend your profession. <laughs> I mean, why have a penalty when you can have a really sincere FA apology? <laughs> it's a foul in rugby. How is it not a foul yeah. in football? I was just like, 
tried to decapitate him. No, not penalty. It's so obvious. You don't need you don't need a referee to tell you that that's a penalty. It's obviously you miss things. Things are different from different perspectives. Jumping on a player and wrapping your hands around them, <laughs> I don't think from any angle looks good. So I think it was a joke, really. But you don't know what VAR is saying. The, the ref on the pitch could have been like, actually, I think that's like you just looked and thought maybe, and then VAR have gone nah, and he's just taken it and gone right, okay. But, I mean, Gary O'Neill being booked, a lot of people think that his card should be overturned because it was a clear penalty. You can't behave like that full stop. But you can see why he's lost his shit. I think everyone had lost their shit at that point. But again, it wasn't like we just stood around moaning and felt sorry for ourselves and absorbed pressure. We just carried on. So, I mean, it's just the first one of the season. First game, first time we get an (laughs) FA apology. I mean, I... I, I I do feel sorry for Gary Neal, and I I think for club both times it won't particularly happy with Lopetegui and how he acted on the touchline. And I, I I agree to be honest. I think you know I expect people to somewhat you know behave a bit better than than that. But it must be really frustrating to mm-hmm. within the space of getting a booking to get you know to getting sanctioned for his reaction to then within what was it an hour? I think it was even like, that. It's, uh, yeah, 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 no, yeah, literally by the time he walked off to kind of, you know, knock on the rest dressing room door and go, yeah, about that thing you got really <laughs> pissed off at, you were right to be pissed off about it. It, it just doesn't happen. And, you know, for, the big thing for me, you know, I, I, I've been trying, like, I, I spent a worrying amount of time last <laughs> night searching on like sky sports and uh, you know uh, to find like some man a man united fan who could justify it in one way or another the nearest ones i could find was he had ice for the ball so when was that that yeah that was it doesn't matter if you've got ice for the ball if you smash into a player who didn't even make contact with it if if he had ice for the ball wouldn't you have got nearer towards dawson and (laughs) yeah and uh, to be honest, the thing that I think frustrated, not frustrated me about it the most is that it was a clear attempt for me for Anana to win a free kick. Mm. Because you look at how he attacks that ball. I mean, I've, the photo on I've got is him attacking um, Sasa. But that's not how you go up to win a ball. When you look, he, he, he does that starfish, doesn't he? Yeah, and that, he's going to that, block. Yeah, he's going to block yeah. a ball that isn't going to be, ever be blocked. It can only ever end badly for me, and I, I just can't get my head around it. The you know that's how it's that, that's how it's been interpreted by the referee, and I, I guess it goes back to the whole you know well it's not clear and obvious. But I, if that isn't clear and obvious, what fucking is? Yeah, and. I think the the ESPN one I was seeing with Craig Burley today and um, Steve Nichol is perfect, and he's even Steve Nichols even in there saying, "I never really call for this kind of thing." But if you can't see that that is a foul, then this can't be your profession anymore, yeah. because if you look, even if you you try and play devil's advocate a little bit, because at the time I didn't think he was a foul. From where we were, we were behind behind the goal behind that goal, and it just looked like, oh, well, it, they've gone up together, it's one of them. And it, Keeper's got to get the free kick. It is what it is. 
it was only when I got back on the couch after it and I saw the video and I couldn't, I, I started laughing. It was that bad. I couldn't believe it. And if you look at it from the other way around, if, if say Dawson had got to the ball and headed it in and then, and clattered the keeper in that way, it would have been a foul. It would have been ruled out. So you can't then have it the other way around where it doesn't matter where the ball's gone. The ball is active on the plate. You can't go around like trying to kill people. Right. It's it's just laughable. Yeah, and like for me, like a, a ref's main job on the pitch is to protect the player's safety. Yeah. That it's, that that is the, the main thing they need to do within kind of, you know the laws of the game. That that's kind of what it comes down to is making sure they are protected. And you're telling me how and the keepers. You know, gone for that and gone. You know what? That is a safe way to go and claim the ball. And I appreciate there are different, almost unwritten rules for goalkeepers. And we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll talk about a Jose Sar incident in a minute. But that is just, I say, it, it's just dangerous how he attempts to get that ball. And it's going to be interesting because I think there's it was there an incident in the Everton game as well. Um, yeah, which which was bizarre as well for me in terms of. From what I only saw it briefly, because Andy it, Townsend was on about that on Talksport this morning. Um, that you look at them as a protected species and as a paid member of the goalkeepers' union, it's a joke because that one in the Everton game, he clearly dropped the ball on his head, he lost yeah. control of the ball, but again, he'd gone up in a weird way, he'd messed it up, and the keeper gets benefit of the doubt. And again, yeah, you don't want keepers being thrown like bashed into the net like in the 70s and 80s again, obviously. But there's got to be some leeway, and that's the whole point of VAR. This exactly. is the this is the argument. I don't blame the ref for this one at all. There's other issues with the yellow card consistency and all that nonsense of time wasting and whatever. But it's hundred percent on the VAR, who has yet again proved that he can't do that job, and he's done it before. He, he was the worst ever performance of any official I've seen in the last ten years at that Spurs Brighton game last season. It was a, it was awful, awful performance, and he he got. What reprimanded for a week and he was down and he did something else and then it's over and over and over again <laughs> with that guy with Salisbury he's just not fit for purpose and <laughs> you look at the thing for the for the audio listeners we got the picture of Mark, Howard Webb, Mark and Atkinson and John Moss, John Moss in the hospitality I don't really they've got to eat you can't starve the people they've got to go and have, have their food after the game for God's sake but it's not a good look when they're all sitting there with the lanyards on is it after something like that's happened. If the guy is clearly not fit for purpose, he has to be struck off. He can't just have a week off, a holiday, like he's got next weekend. He's, he's on salary. He'll get paid anyway. He won't get his appearance fee, but he'll get, still get paid. And what happens then? It's We know what's going to happen. It won't be a... It, it won't be a big six club that suffers at his hands yet again. It'll be one of us minnows. And then the circle continues... And over and over again, the guy is a joke. He's been a joke all season last year. Just get rid of him. And like Danny's saying, can we starve them? We could try. It'd be a start. But given some of the the vegetarian options on display at Molineux, they won't be eating anytime soon. Let me tell you that. I've got yeah, I've got a question for the group. I, I I it's something that I heard earlier, which really made me think. So you you mentioned um, refereeing inconsistencies and there is absolutely you know eight nuri's yellow after about five <laughs> seconds compared to you know 
well, there were loads of other players that did it. Do you think there's an unconscious bias there <laughs> where it's thought of that because we are the lesser team on paper, club size, everything else, that it's time-wasting because we have not got as much of a foot in the game and a chance in the game, whereas a bigger team, it's not considered time-wasting by the referee because they're the big team. Why would they time-waste? They will win this game. Does it go that deep or is it, you know, is it as simple as corruption and tin hat foil wearing? I don't know. I'm going to step in before Stu starts talking um, just just to cover ourselves from a libel perspective. Um, I I think it, for me, it all nails down to how poorly something like VAR is implemented in terms of this. Oh, well, it needs to be clear and obvious and it can't just be this ongoing two-way dialogue and it has to be and just the fear frankly referees have about making a mistake and you know not not having i guess the humility to kind of go actually no i was wrong and frankly i don't i don't Stu's right like i can i can see why the ref might not see it in the moment he might kind of think oh it was a fairly contested ball but that's when you have another official to to aid him, and I don't, that's why I don't quite, you know, get to be honest. That's the part I I really struggle with, and particularly I guess when it comes to a big club, uh, uh, I guess your uh, your teasing point was Matt. I think part of it is they maybe lean on not giving a decision or sometimes giving a decision. So they then don't have to have that, I guess, clear and obvious error against them. So, like, you know, I, I don't know, let's say the um, the Liverpool FA Cup offside goal, where it was given offside, I have no idea um, how, like, you know, what, what the, the linesman didn't need to flag, could have given it, and then offside ruled it out afterwards, rather than what happened where it was given and they couldn't prove it because of Cam Rangel's X, Y, Z whatever blasting the past but that just seems like such an illogical way about making a, a decision making process with so much riding on it and yeah. i know it, i feel like it might be easier for some of those bigger clubs that i think in fact so it, it it's the old um if that's man united and they're one nil down and they play a ball to the back post and sar goes flying in like that which, as discussed, he has history of doing. I think the ref blows up for the penalty and it gets checked by VAR just in case, but it wouldn't get maybe not get overturned. Does that no. make sense? It wouldn't get overturned because it's a foul. <laughs> and I know, I know Matt's trying to get me to go mad again. I'm not, do, I'm not doing it anymore. It's because it, it wastes too much energy. It's there's enough. Until they, they've got the tools there to come out and show us, let us hear the audio seconds after the game finishes. It's not like it's tape and they have to unravel it from the bloke's back. It's all digital. It's a, it, if they can get a highlight reel to end the show five minutes after it finishes, they can get the audio from a VAR call. It's not hard. There's nothing against the rules. They do it in Australia. They do it in MLS. Every, there's other countries that do it. It's, not, it's fine. Until they start doing this stuff, you're going to get the questions asked. And why is it always the whole by the Balotelli, why you always me thing? But the Liverpool thing, it's never happened before. 
with a VAR didn't have a camera angle. Never happened in this country. Lamina getting sent off last year at Southampton. Never happened in this country or anywhere else in the entire world until they changed the rule in the summer. And then you have this, which is the first one that I can think has been 99% of the entire world has been absolutely outraged about, regardless of what club you support. And you think, well, yeah, we got that kind of big club bias when we were in the championship in League One. It happens. Of course it does, because, you, like you said, Rich, it is an unconscious bias. But there's weird shit going on all the time. It's not just us. It's <laughs> against any big club, against a minnow. And until they come and prove otherwise, you're going to get people asking questions, and rightly so. I, I would hate it. I would honestly hate it if it, all my mad theories that, that I've come out in the past were true. I want it to be pure and, and not Italian. I want no, no corruption whatsoever. I don't want any of it to be be right but if it's not right then they're fucking inept which is worse <laughs> because what chance do we have then because if they can't if they're not fit for purpose and these are the best people in the in the country where do we go from there go and get Kalina and his friends from abroad it's 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 a it's uh, two bads it's like which is the worst of two evils here they're either the bent or the shit and <laughs> It's not the system, because the system works perfectly fine, as we saw in the World Cup for the vast majority of the time. When you get the best referees doing it, it works flawlessly. When you get people who don't know the rules of the game and can't use their eyes properly, and it's not even buckling up under pressure because they're miles away. They're in, they're in Heathrow. It's not like they're going to get beat up outside Old Trafford. It doesn't make any sense. It just makes no sense at all. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to... I, I don't quite know where I was going to go from there, but I, I, I agree for the most part. And I think the, the releasing the audio, the audio is, I think, the, the big one, as uh, Jordan P says in the comment. I'm yet to hear a convincing as to why the audio is not available. If not during the game, immediately afterwards. They aren't helping themselves with the corruption argument. I mean, personally, I don't buy into the corruption stuff. Um, Tom also says, was definitely a penalty and the officials should have more of a punishment than a one-game ban. But we had 23 shots at Old Trafford. We got mm. to find the, uh, find the net. Otherwise, we've got a serious problem. Could have won at least 3-0. Yeah. And that, that's why I've not gone off this morning and, and today about it, of our poor Wolves, because we're our own worst enemy. We had more than enough chances to win the game, let alone to get a draw out of it. But the fact that we've had such a nonsense going against us yet again, and it's been shown to the entire world that yet yeah, this has been happening. I know <laughs> our good friend Harry, um, he, he did put it up, and I think he, take, he took it down again, like 10 examples of ridiculous VAR things that have happened to us and only us, like the Matinho armpit at Man City. Mm. Never happened before or again afterwards. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just what? Um, weird stuff over and over again that happens to no one else, it seems. Um, but yeah, they can't do it in-game because it, it's a IFAB thing, apparently. Um, even though it works perfectly fine in rugby and NFL and every, every other yeah. sport in the yeah. entire world, but of course, not football. And again, release it afterwards, no problem whatsoever. Well, because genuinely, and I'm saying this because I'm being a bit snarky, because um, I've been up since the early hours and was up late at night still, annoyed but i genuinely want to understand the reasoning i want to actually like mm. get a better understanding of the game frankly for you know i'd hope walls do to be honest to actually get that explanation not because oh i want to know what you did wrong 
because I want to know if like Jose Sar can do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's uh, silly. Like, uh, that's a, me being silly, but like particularly with like offsides and things like that. And I don't know, like you, you look at how it's implemented in rugby, and you know, people use those rules for their own benefit a lot of the time. And how they, uh, you know, let's say the breakdown of rooks, of, you know, for example. But it, it just feels like it's such like a missed opportunity for refs to be able to explain decisions that bit more there, there is still that big chance that people just aren't going to buy it and you're always going to have some level of debate between whether it's right or wrong but i'd like to think that if you've got the technology then you'd just be like you know say oh it, from our perspective it was a but both players went for the ball it was a goalkeeper competing he was tr- he was attempting to make uh, you know get contact with the ball that's sort of all they need to say we could still go yeah but he wasn't but at mm. least have that understanding and the fact that you say we we were given an apology 20 minutes after the game it it, it just doesn't add up does it i mean uh, the one thing i want to sort of pull back on was i, me- I mentioned about jose Sar last year and but one of the main threads was around, yeah, but there was an incident last season involving Wolves where um, Jose Sarr did something very similar against Leeds United on the opening day of the season, ironically, and a penalty wasn't given. And it did go to VAR. Mm. Um, and I, I won't read through the long uh, comms in, in terms of sort of why it wasn't given. But essentially, it wasn't judged as excessive force, um, essentially. And I've seen a few Leeds United fans bark up about it. And I've seen a Man United fan do it as well. And there's a few things that kind of frustrated me about it. And the big one is, like, I hate it when fans do this. And uh, honestly, I reckon we do it more than enough. So I'll try and, you know, try and wind my neck in a bit. But just because there was an incorrect decision a year ago, and Stu, you might have even done that podcast a year ago and yeah. out of jail on that one. I said it was a penalty at the time. Yeah, yeah. We lost anyway, so it didn't matter. Well, exactly, yeah. So it kind of falls down to like three things for me. One, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of the game because we didn't go on to win. Most of us assumed it was going to get removed from the penalty and it didn't get given. And also, just because... An incorrect decision was made a year ago. Doesn't mean you should get given an incorrect decision again to sort of punish balls for karma from the first time. That's not how it works. It should, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be setting a precedent for something like that. But it feels like it is in a way. So I don't know. Like that's what I'm saying. Like can you know the FA, the PGML, who I've had. Like what? What is a goalkeeper allowed and not allowed to do anymore? Because mm. I feel that area is a bit grey, to be honest. Um, but anyway, enough of a rant because you know it, we don't want to talk. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to fucking talk about VAR. I don't want to have to, you know it, 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 it's cast a it's cast a cloud over what was a, otherwise for me like a brilliant performance and. You know, hopefully the players haven't kind of taken too much of it away. Um, but we'll never know. 
and we'll we'll move on. Um, right, quick before we wrap up the game, um, and I've got a couple of uh, questions from Twitter corner. It's a toughie, but who are we all giving man of the match to? Um, Cunha. Yeah. Yeah. I would give it to. Um, I'd probably give it to Samado because I think it's one of his best performances in the shirt. I don't think we are even have the confidence to be able to do some of the things that we did in that game if we didn't have had him being in a position saving our skins on more than a couple of occasions. I think he linked up attacks well. I think he did what he was asked to do with very little flair about it. And he was everywhere. He didn't put a foot wrong. Whereas, you know, whilst Ait Nouri um, was, was great going forward and helped Neto's game, he turn put us in danger a few times as well, whereas I can't say that about Samado. I know there's the marking for the goal, like, but you know, but this is numerous players at fault there. This is what I was just about to say that the amount of times that he gets beat <laughs> in the, them kind of situations, yet it's not his job. He's covering for other people every single time. Like, I don't know how he gets himself into these situations, but that wasn't even his man. I don't even know why he was there. So it was the it was the wrong side for for one, um, but without him, we'd have been screwed anyway. Um, and he, over his last two or three years here, he's had the same thing where he's took it upon himself to do the, the job of two people. When if he'd have just concentrated on his own game, he'd have been a lot better player for us. And I think there he got himself in a situation where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he got done again. Uh, Amy, how about you? I mean, Cunha. Yeah. That's pretty easy, to be honest. I mean, again, Samedo played fantastic. Eight Nori, brilliant. But I think Cunha covered the pitch. I didn't see Garnacho for most of the game, even though, yeah, he did have a few touches, got involved a bit. I just think Cunha played most people off the ball. I mean, the runs alone, the chances he created, it looked so promising. I mm. think... I mean, we were under pressure when we bought him in January to stay up. Now I think he's kind of like, right, fresh start, bit of freedom. Let's bring it to the table and worry and worry about getting, let's say, mid-table rather than survival. You could see he enjoyed playing that position so much better. Um, I, I liked him in that position. I don't like him up front as a striker. I like where he played on the on the left, I think. It was just a brilliant game for him. Best we've seen yeah. him play. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to go slightly different from the rest of you, and I'm going to go for uh, Matthias Nunes. I think the, the way, I, I think he was the player who was able to just link up for the, the, the breaks that bit more. I, I, I know, I think he's got a big season ahead of him for me. Um, slightly breaking news, um, for want of a better word. Uh, Liam Keane of the Express Star said, Wolves are not interested in selling or loaning Fabio Silva this summer, uh, despite rumours this evening. The club deemed to be important this season. Um, he'd already, Silva had already decided to stay under uh, Lopetegui, um, which is good for Wolves that he's still committed despite the change in manager. Um, it'll be a bit of work uh, with O'Neill now in charge, but the club is committed to silver um and you know the, the player feeling important under uh, o'neill and we'll have a say 
in it too, but Silver's under contract and the club want to keep him. So hopefully that's an, another player who's actually staying out of walls as well. So um, all, all positive from that front as well. Um, we will be back in a few seconds, guys, uh, where we'll answer a few questions from Twitter Corner. See you in a second. This is an advertisement from Better Help Therapy Online. We all carry different stresses, big and small. It could be from work, stuff going on at home, or just from supporting a football team. You flatter to deceive, and as the bedsheets have always said, let us down. We often bottle up these stresses and try and keep a lid on them, but when you do that, it can start to affect you negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It gives you a place to get these things off your chest, get down to root cause, and figure out how to work through what's weighing you down. Therapy is there to help develop positive uh, coping skills. It's not just for people who have experienced major trauma. It's about empowering you to be the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not look and give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners can get 10% off their first month using the code betterhelp.com slash wanderers. That's betterhelp.com slash wanderers. Let's get back to the show. Body, we missed you all. Right, uh, before we wrap up today's show, uh, just a couple of questions from Twitter Corner. Um, so, uh, do, 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 first up, um, I, I guess linking in from what we talked about, Fabio Silva um, from Brendan McMahon, uh, should uh, should we break FFP and just apologise um, um, after it to make it all okay? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you've ranted about FFP enough. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying anything. Another word about it. It's look at. I mean, Chelsea going after yet more people <laughs> today. Um, I mean, I don't like Elise anyway, so he's perfect for that club. But yeah, how they've even got a release clause in his contract is beyond me. But again, they don't need him. Why is he going there? Just because they can, and they don't care, do they? So why should we? Is it just because other teams want him? Probably. I genuinely like to say they don't, they don't need him in, in, in the grand scheme of things, or they're basically cooking the books with um, amortisation, aren't they? In terms of, oh, well, we'll spread the 35 million, is it? Something mm. like that. We'll spread that over five years to be the seven a year, but we're going to sell him in 18 months' time because he hasn't played, um, but we'll sell him for 25 million. And <laughs> The books will say that we're 18 million profit for him this season. That's the only thing I can think that they are doing and sort of just pushing the money along to a later date, a bit like what they kind of do in the NFL. Yeah, Simon Jordan was perfect on this yesterday. Yeah. If, there's, if there's a clip of that show, I, I, he was he broke it down brilliantly for for how they're doing it. Um, and again, it's not even a loophole. It's, the, it's the, in the rules. You can do that perfectly fine, which we have done... By the sounds of it, because amortisation is in the Wolves' accounts, which and then you look at the amount, and it looks like we've been doing that for contracts for years anyway. But the markup on player sales, because we haven't sold anyone for a long time, it didn't really work. So, but you don't need to go into that again. 
No. Neither here nor there. Um, okay. Um, I think we, we talked Neto briefly, so I think this is a good one. Um, did the absolute wipeout from Martinez on Neto uh, mentally actually do the world of good? Uh, felt like he'd been holding back after blowing his knee uh, can take a whack. Um, like, is it is his belief up? I mean, I mean, we talked about Neto a bit. He does seem to be a little bit, i say a bit more, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, a bit more tenacious, a bit more, I guess, confident in his own mm. self and body, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really watching that throughout the game yesterday. Um, that sounds really bad. Um, <laughs> I think he needed a bit of a wake-up call, to be fair. I mean, he used to be brilliant. I think he plays good in midfield position. But he came back from injury, blah, blah, blah. We're now here. I just... I think Neto needs to be able to read the game a little bit better and engage with the players. But with Martinez, I don't really know what to say, to be honest. He did look... He did look like... It, it is hard to describe because he wasn't, like, front foot up and at him, but and he, he he hasn't completely gone full trial Adama Traore bugged up, but he looks he looks bigger like overall bigger. Um, I know we're all we've all got bigger with age, and Rich, when there's uh, just a bit of a tangent, are you uh, committed to our club now after that photo that came out on not, there? Not yet, not yet, no. Just just for mirrors a bad light. It's an awful position for me here. I, I, my laptop's at a bad angle. I've got the mirror. I've got the lights. So, no, I'm, I think maybe at my birthday. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's a nice nice end to your hair life. Um, but, but... I just remembered, uh, I, was, I was chatting to Beth about it. Um, but for those who, I guess, don't know, don't see, my hair is ever so slightly thinning on top. And I mentioned slightly, more, slightly, yeah. Stu hasn't been making very obvious digs on this, on this <laughs> for years, <laughs> to be honest. But anyway, I, I, I had a photo taken at the weekend, and it was very apparent how much or as little is going. And I was having a look at some family photos, and <laughs> Beth was my wife, like, looked at a photo of my dad, was like, Yeah, see, your dad didn't have uh, much hair. <laughs> He had had several rounds of skincare. Which didn't necessarily make me feel great about my own hairline. But oh, don't get me wrong. I'll I'll I'll, I'll go that way soon enough. But um, that's yeah. that's how it that's how it happened for me as well. Though it, it was a it was a wedding photo, um, and I was leaning down like. Oh well, I was passed out, wasn't I? Let's be let's be honest. <laughs> I was passed out on the floor, and the um, and you you could I mean. You could see through my hair, and you think, "Well, yeah, it's time now. Then let's just get it all off." And that's what I did. So from the from the luscious luscious yellow locks that I had to uh, to looking like Matt, just just accept it. Just just join us. It's fun. It's 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 very late, but low maintenance when you get used to it as well. Yeah, you did go Janola to Steve Stone very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Did Steve Stone play for Newcastle? Did Steve Stone play for Newcastle? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I'm sure he did. About cross grid. Um, so well, I had him in a Corinthian. Not this makes any any sense to anyone. I had Steve Stone in a forest shirt in a Corinthian figure, and it's yeah. around about the same time. So I, I think they did. Um, but Neto's far from losing his hair, um, and in fact, he looked quite luscious yesterday. But um, 
yeah, I think I don't like him on the right. I mean, the amount of times where he just refused to use his right foot and kept cutting back, and it just brought the move up every time. And we've had this problem for the last couple of years when he's played on the right rather than on the left. And he puts a good ball in, which is more even more frustrating. If you're just going to do that, then just play him on the left-hand side and play Wang on the right, where he's more naturally suited to whipping a ball in. But maybe that comes when we've got Sasha in the middle. Again, it might be one of them things, but there's, there's a definite improvement from where he was, but he's nowhere near what he used to be yet. Yeah, I think um, hopefully he can kick back on this season. Um, so t- time will tell. Um that's probably a good point to wrap up today's show um, because we've been babbling on for quite a while and getting very angry at VAR. But there are a hell of a lot of positives for me as a Wolves fan. I think we can all kind of look forward to the Brighton game for once, um, even if our record there is uh, less than great, shall we say. Um, we will be back to preview the Brighton game um, probably Thursday at this point. Um, but you can keep up to date with all things Wolves Fancast, um, which is at Wolves Fancast on. And the list is going on and on, guys. So we've got Twitter or X now. We've got Facebook. We've got Instagram. We've got TikTok. We've got the website. We've got YouTube as well. So if you are watching right now on YouTube, make sure you've hit the um, like button and the subscribe button. And if you listen to us on podcast, on your commute, pull over safely. Keep out of the ignition because, you know, we need to make sure you're safe. Go on to YouTube, Wolves Fancast, and subscribe, subscribe on there as well, please. And thank you. Um, we are also part of the uh, Audi uh, network as well. Um, so it's great to be partnered with them for the upcoming season as well. Um, but until next time, it's goodbye from Amy. Amy, and it's been so great to have you with us today. I was dead nervous to come on. I tried to play it cool. And then we started talking about receding and thinning hair. And I was like, oh, I can relate so much. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Um, it's goodbye from Matt. Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. Have a good week. And it's goodbye from Stu. Ted Lasso said it best. Believe. See you next time, guys.